welcome back to the regular exclusive podcast and the holidays are in full swing right now it's i guess dark. so that's it's december 3rd but you're right it's off to the fucking races <laughs> december 3rd uh at time of recording so yeah it's yeah, still sorry. it's still december you know if you're listening to this when we post you're right yeah, it's getting cold it's uh getting snowy depending on where you live yeah uh, i mean renee you're out in the desert so i mean is there no is there snow? no no <laughs> no it's snow. like in the 60s and we're like oh it's so cold <laughs> <laughs> gotta get my gloves <laughs> yeah need my sweatshirt <laughs> but um so we're ready to go in to uh you know holiday movies and you know last year we had a lot of great movies, not necessarily any of them really had to do with uh, Christmas, except for, you know, our Christmas Day episode. This year, though, we're talking about mostly Christmas movies, yeah. and they're they're all mostly pretty uh, violent for the most yes. part. <laughs> I can agree with that. Maybe one of them might be an exception, but that's just because we got to throw the other people a bone. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we're going to put a little hope and happy Christmas spirit. Uh, yeah at the end of this whole month. So uh, yeah, I think we're fine. But uh, to give you all a heads up of what we're talking about this month, today's episode, we're talking about Hateful Eight. And while you might think that's not a Christmas movie, there is snow in it, a lot of snow. And I totally forgot until rewatch, uh, one of the guys plays Silent Night on the piano. So yeah, I, there's I a think... Christmas song in it. <laughs> yeah. I would say if people say that Die Hard is a Christmas <laughs> film, then I think it's okay for us to say that The Hateful Eight is also a Christmas film. <laughs> Feels like a safe, safe, ugh, safe space. <laughs> yeah. And then next week we are talking about last year's Christmas instant classic, Violet Night, with yep. David Harbor and. As he, Santa, <laughs> he's he's he he's my hero. After I saw that movie, um, so good. And then the following week to wrap things up on the twenty first, we're going to be talking about Black Christmas, a horror classic. Renee, I think you say it's like one of the all time best horror movies ever made. Oh, I I do think it's I think it's better than Halloween. That might be a. Like the original, because this Ooh. one talking. So we're talking Black Christmas, like 1974. That's how classic it is. <laughs> yeah, we might we might mention. I think you said there's two other. Adaptations. There is a remake from 2006. We will ignore the one from 2019 because it's just better <laughs> if we don't talk about it. And it has nothing to do with the other two. But the movie that we're pairing with that with Black Christmas is A Christmas Story, which is definitely more uplifting as a Christmas movie. And you might be thinking, why the hell are you pairing those movies together? Well, the reason is the same guy made both movies. Bob Clark. What a <laughs> fucking legend. Two Christmas classics that could not be more different, honestly. I'm I'm excited to watch both of them in quick succession. It's going to be a real, like, ever since I learned this fact, I'm like, I feel like we have to talk about this because yeah. it blows my fucking mind. I had no clue that they were the same guy until until, until we talked about it. <laughs> yeah. So, so this will be a really good one. I'm excited. Yeah. We're really in the spirit this year, basically. Oh, yeah. All right. So we're talking about Tarantino and um, we're talking, you know, Hateful Eight is the movie we're talking about, which I feel like he had that name locked away for a long time because he's like, hey, eighth movie. 
I got to work it into the title for some reason. Uh, Hateful Eight. Let's let's do this. <laughs> I mean, it's honestly not a bad idea. I kind of love that. And it it was like a while before I even realized that. I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. But I wonder if he did plan this because it's pretty perfect. <laughs> well, actually, I guess we'll talk about how he came up with this movie. But before we get into Hateful Eight, which I know we both really love, um, I was just curious because I've rewatched all of his movies that he's directed mm -hmm. uh, this past like week. And I'm just curious if you have a favorite Tarantino film and I will list them all now. And if you want me to. Yeah. List them because okay. that we're at nine right now. Right. Yes. <clears throat> and the rules are a little bit different. So I think what he has said most recently is that Kill Bill volumes one and two technically are one movie okay. because they originally planned on just doing one, but then it was so long and they cut it into two. So, okay. but he also counts Death Proof as a movie. It is movie length, I believe. It's like 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, probably a tight 90 because, yeah, it's part of Grindhouse. Yeah. So there's two of them in there. Yep. Death Proof it's, is so good. Speaking so of Kurt good. Russell, <laughs> I had never seen that and it was great. Um, okay. So, just in order Tarantino's films, Reservoir Drogs. Mm hmm. Pulp Fiction, yeah. Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume 1, Kill Bill Volume 2, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchanged, The Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh my god, that is the hardest list yeah. of movies to pick one from. Like... They're literally all fucking bangers. I, yeah. I, it's so hard. Yeah, it's like, it's like a lot of lists. It's like you have the the you have the top of the list which is a couple of them you have a you have a big middle of the pack and then you know you know maybe a, a you know a small end of the pack this is so top heavy this list like i don't yeah. even know if there's technically like a there's not a bottom of the pack it's just top heavy and and good <laughs> like <laughs> i mean his average rating just with like comparing rot like rotten tomatoes for critics and audiences is i feel like well above most directors out there and yeah if it, like especially i mean i know he's also written films but like for such just having like i mean 10 technically nine i guess movies that's pretty incredible that they're all fucking good like even death proof which is his lowest rated it's like a B movie, like grindhouse kind of thing. Yeah. It's supposed to be like that on purpose. Yeah. But it's so great. Like I it's, just really enjoy it. It's so it's really good. It's way better than one of those movies really would be, probably, because it's got a script by Tarantino. Yeah. And not to distract from your question, but just quick on death proof. It has easily the well, has one of the lowest box offices. And I think it's because it was part of the grindhouse title. And mm -hmm. people Nobody saw, was, yeah. people saw in the trailer the girl from the Robert Rodriguez, Rodriguez's movie with the machine gun peg leg. Like, yeah, like, what is this? And so they kind of, but uh, oh gosh, so good. Um, okay, so my favorite. That is such a hard question. So my recency bias is going to say that. It's that it's either Inglorious Bastards or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. I say that because those are, besides Hateful Eight, those are the two most recent ones I've watched, and I loved both of them. But I remember when I was younger, like a teenager, I was really, really obsessed with Reservoir Dogs. Mm -hmm. I, I, I loved 
just everything about it. And I think that's what, one of the reasons I love Hateful Eight so much is that we got to see Tim Roth come back. Mm-hmm. And, and Michael uh, Madsen. Yeah, it's, this is like all all the boys are back in town. You yeah, know? but it's very much like the same plot almost too with a bunch of guys who can't trust each other stuck in one location. It's yeah. great. It's kind of full circle, I feel like, even though he also did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood after but that. But what what's your favorite? The Hateful Eight. I think it's his best. Okay. I know that that's super probably like, I mean, just from what I've seen online and heard from people that a lot of people either have not seen it. It's like the one Tarantino they really haven't seen. Maybe Jackie Brown, because I feel like that one's underrated. Mm-hmm. But I I just watched that one. It's so good. Definitely recommend it's on Prime if you haven't seen it. But it, I feel like I feel like Hateful Eight is probably one of the lower rated by most people because they're just like, I think after Django and Inglorious Bastards, people were like, all right, I'm I'm on this. And those movies are incredible, like have such great dialogue, but like lots of shit happening, lots of crazy shit in both movies and very action, right? Like a lot of action in between all the scenes of dialogue. So, and plus it's like, I mean, you're dealing with like the slavery and the Nazis. It's just like a lot of shit. Hateful Eight is not as flashy, I feel like, as either of those. It's so much more back to Reservoir Dogs, which it almost shocks me that people aren't as receptive to it because I think, if you everyone loves like Reservoir Dogs, it's like the classic for a reason. It's interesting that Hateful Eight kind of goes back to that similar thing, but people just don't like it. Maybe it's the Western setting. I'm not sure. If I had to guess, it's it would. I feel like it would have to be because the two previous movies were Inglorious Bastards and Django, which are maybe some of the most action packed movies. Yes. Yeah that exactly. he's ever done and then yeah. this is like yeah he just pulls it back and he's like yep yeah we're gonna stay in one room yeah pretty much the entire time <laughs> which is perfectly fine for me I mean I would say like before hatefully and before like I became obsessed with it and decided it was my favorite which like it kind of just snuck up on me as my favorite but for a long time like Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards were like neck and neck I love yeah. Pulp Fiction so much but Inglorious Bastards, I think overall is just so fucking great. And it's just, it's got everything. So I love that one. But yeah, Hateful Eight, the cast alone, because it's not as flashy as like Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. I get that it's not as much of like a, oh, it's not the same. But like, man, it's fucking incredible. <laughs> it really is. Uh, I feel like now we're just trying to get into our main segment so let's just stop here did you pick your favorite yeah you did yeah reservoir dogs yeah uh so yeah i mean we have announcement of tarantino's 10th and allegedly final film and we'll see how it all goes i'm very excited for it It's like the movie critic or something the film critic yeah which which seems perfect for him to do some kind of movie on that he always says fuck the critics so like (laughs) i can't wait to see what this turns out like (laughs) all right well let's take a quick little break and then get into the hateful eight got room for one more i ain't too anxious to be handing out rides real trusting fella huh not so much no way I'm spending a couple of nights under a roof with somebody I don't know who they are. So who are you? Okay, everybody. Hear this. I'm taking this woman to hang. Rewards $10,000. That money's mine, boys. Oh, that's interesting. No one said this job's supposed to be easy. <laughs> Nobody said it's supposed to be that hard, neither. We are talking about 
the hateful eight quentin tarantino's eighth movie and what a doozy this movie is like i don't know you were mentioning um we were just talking previously like this kind of seems like the the Taran the unsung Tarantino movie that it's like people don't really talk about it that much. Yeah, I am so shocked because I love it so much. This movie's incredible, and I've wanted to talk to you about it forever. And just like I feel like it's the one that most people either haven't seen or just don't care about or don't get it, and they're like, "It's boring." I'm like, "This movie is boring to you, Jesus Christ!" <laughs> I don't even know how you could watch a Tarantino movie if you don't enjoy this movie. Honestly, I feel like it's like got a lot of classic Tarantino stuff. Um, but I mean, like Nolan and I watch this movie all the time. It's our favorite Tarantino. And it's like literally part of our love language at this point. We <laughs> quote it all the fucking time because it's so good. And I, like the fact that, I mean, Sam Jackson is just fucking incredible in this movie. We'll talk about the rest of the cast, but I was just fun piece of trivia that this is the first time in six collaborations that Sam Jackson was in the leading role. He's always been supporting in every other Tarantino uh... Yeah, I think I saw that too. Yeah, like it's the first time he's like the top build. Yeah, and fuck yeah. I mean, and he he, he gets his his money's worth out of this because he he is Incredible. doing everything in this movie. Like this movie, I mean, yeah, especially the last third. Like, oh yeah, after he gets shot in the balls, he just goes completely unhinged, and it's, it's my favorite. Per it's perfection. <laughs> it's like, so good. Yeah, third. <laughs> Like for I guess fourth quarter Sam Jackson in this movie is incredible, but he's also I mean everyone is so good. We'll talk about the whole cast, but yeah. like I still am just so shocked that this movie is not get more love because like audiences, critics, everyone is just not that hot on it. And I just felt like if Reservoir Dogs is so highly appreciated and like thought of as this classic, it feels like there's a lot. Of, there's at least two of the same cast in this movie very similar story and they're yeah. all trapped in one place no one can trust each other i mean i don't know what do you yeah. think i you're right there is a lot of similarities between this and reservoir dogs i i think maybe the thing that reservoir dogs has is the most powerful drug of all nostalgia mm -hmm. and i don't know so like reservoir dogs came out in 92 Mm -hmm. and also that was like his first movie yeah so like the people Crazy. that the people that like quote unquote discovered tarantino like they could just latch on to that and that's, that's like true. The you're thing. so right it's also the lowest box office movie he ever did 2.8 million which pretty much every movie he's done except for jackie brown and death proof has done over 100 million at box office wow so like that's crazy <laughs> like his first so like pulp fiction was huge and then jackie brown so yeah two of his movies in the 90s but yeah i also think you know 90s was a different generation and then in glorious bath or sorry um this came out essentially um you know 15 years later almost mm -hmm. maybe that stuck in one room thing the 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 i don't know whatever generation it was but younger or whatever maybe just like it didn't click maybe it's also that it's three hours long like i think it's there's a lot of factors i i i don't think i think the things that people might enjoy about it are maybe the similarities to reservoir dogs but you're right i feel like there's like the 90s tarantino which is a certain flavor and then he gets into like the kill bill 
and that whole era, which is like he's very much a pop culture, like very pop popular at the time. But like, I mean, it's interesting. Nobody really talks about Kill Bill anymore, even though it was so fucking popular at the time and so incredible. And I love both of those movies. Yeah. Just rewatched them. They're so fucking good. But then I do feel like Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight. I feel like those fit together nicely. I also think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does, even though it's way less violent than both of those movies, or all three of those. But maybe just because they were such big sprawling stories for Django and Inglorious Bastards that like coming back to like a small room with yeah. all these people. I mean, a lot of people will say it's like, this movie kind of feels like a play. And I would say, especially on this extended edition, when you get the four episodes, mm -hmm. it does feel almost like a, a stage play, which I normally fucking hate. But when it's this good, when it's Tarantino doing a stage play, I love it. <laughs> so on the note of stage play, I 100% agree with you. And this is the first movie I've ever seen in 70 millimeter. Oh, yeah. You went and saw it in the, in I, the actual, like, wow, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. The theater here um, in Seattle that does it, it's no longer in business, unfortunately. But um, it was such a cool experience because, I mean, this movie is amazing, however you watch it. But it was such a cool experience in 70 millimeter. It was like I, I totally understood why people talked about it because 70 millimeter is like ultra widescreen. And so, like, most of the movie in the house it felt like the camera didn't move. It looked like you look at the middle of the room, we'll say the fireplace, you could see the fireplace and then all the way to the left, you could see the coffee pot. And then all the way to the right, you could see the bed, wow. like it all in one shot. And it That's was like, cool. so it only like zoomed in for like those close up scenes. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy, especially like the, the beginning of the movie there's all those like landscape shots they're mm -hmm. just enormous on 70 millimeter that's really cool though i didn't even think about that mm. for like when you're in the cabin especially because there's like things that like sometimes happen in the background that you don't notice and then like yeah. you'll pick up on a rewatch or they like go back and point it out later like with the poisoning the coffee yeah so I kind of, I love that because I like only could see online that people were like, why did you do this in 70 millimeter? It doesn't make any sense because you spent the whole movie in one room. And I'm like, yeah. I feel like there's gotta be a fucking benefit to that. And even still, it's like, why would it be all outside? I didn't need us to be outside at all. Why do you want to be out there? There's literally nothing out in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm perfectly fine with everything happening in this cabin. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, and the, and that's the other thing with 70 millimeter is that like it doesn't make sense to do it unless you're going to do long takes mm. because like it's not about moving the camera and all these different shots. It's like how much can we get in one take with just the cool. film rolling and like I love that. they totally did it. It was awesome. Jace, you're making me love this movie even more, <laughs> which I didn't even think was possible. This is dangerous. And we didn't talk about the best part of this entire movie. This was also the only movie experience I had that had a fucking intermission. God, can we should do that. Can we please make any movie that's three hours mm -hmm. a, a must-include intermission? I completely support you. I will sign whatever petition you start for this because <laughs> I agree. Did you hear that, like, I'm pretty sure, like, Sony, whatever, was, like, punishing theaters who had uh included an intermission for killers of the flower moon because it's four oh. hours and i was like oh you fuckers like squishes he was pissed or something i don't know 
that could have just been blown up. But I'm also like, just fuck off. Okay. If people have to pee and get a drink, that's totally fine. Why are we punishing people for this? I shouldn't be punished because I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of four hours. Like that's normal. Also, theaters should be incentivized to do this because they make all their money off concessions. Yeah. So if I'm going to a three hour movie, you know what I'm not doing? Hmm. Buying concessions. I'm not buying liquids for a three hour movie. No, exactly. (laughs) That's it makes sense from the theater's point of view. And you would think, I mean, maybe it's just because like, I don't know why the studios would like it. Cause like, I think somebody said, well, what about like, Maybe they can't show the movie as much. And I'm like, it's not like it's a Marvel movie. They're showing Killers of the Flower Moon like two two times a day. Yeah. Maybe that. It maybe once. Like it's and, not like they are having problems like we need to run this all to all at all times, all day. Like it's four hours. Yeah. You can maybe run that two or three showings a day. Yeah. And it also doesn't have to be 30 minutes. Like I think when I went, I think it was 10 minutes, maybe 15 tops. 15 seems right. Yeah. Like get up, go to the bathroom. If you want to buy some concessions, you have time to do that. And then you get mm-hmm. in and it was perfect. And I also love that like Tarantino built that into the movie. Mm-hmm. He's That's like, cause cool. like his whole point of it, it to kind of speak to what you were saying of like going back to his roots, like everything. He's like, I want to do a movie that feels like people back in the day used to go to when intermissions were a thing. And so it he, does like, fit. he yeah. built that into his movie. I love that so much. And it makes sense, too, because he's always one of the things that I just love about Tarantino movies is the chapters. Yeah. And it works perfectly for that. And I think, like, I love the chapters even more for the extended edition because I just feel like they really just the extra stuff that they have to, like, edit it. It just feels perfect. You know, oh, yeah. another thing that I wish I wish streaming services would do this. And I'm really mad that Netflix has never tried to do this with other things but the fact that netflix has a extended cut of hateful eight and it's broken into four episodes i think is just brilliant for long movies Mm-hmm. they should do it for like the irishman if you would have done that in three <laughs> four parts i mean fuck that I, that's how i had to watch it anyways yeah I, I stopped it every 20 30 minutes i was like i can't this is it <laughs> well <laughs> it's, like, it's like as i as I was watching um, Babylon, when we did that episode, I was like, there is very clear, easy spots that mm-hmm. you could turn this into a three episode story. Yeah. And honestly, it's like, for these what? long movies, it works. It's like if if streaming services would do this, like I would love that. I would probably sub- sub- subscribe for just that reason. It's like you break this up, you make it easy. Are you listening, Netflix? <laughs> You should do this more often. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised they don't do this with more movies. I mean, it just makes sense. And I really enjoy also the fact that, like, it's just the movie already had chapters. So it's kind of fucking perfect. I've always dreamed that he would do this with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because there's like a lot of extended material there. And he talked about it. But like, you know, Tarantino's had a ton of ideas that end up changing midway through. So, all right. So this movie, you know, we've we've said it's feels like kind of the unsung Tarantino movie. I mean, it did really well at the box office. Um, so a lot of people saw it, but I wanted to ask you, this is a very interesting movie to describe to someone who's never seen it. How would you describe slash sell this movie to someone who's never seen it? Like, Hey, you need to watch this movie because blank. How would you do because that? Because of this. Okay. Well, let me try and 
whittle this down into a shorter <laughs> answer. That's like a pitch. So I got 30 bullet points just waiting. No, uh, the entire episode saying... is Renee's pitch. <laughs> I'll try to keep it together. Um, But I would say that there's like the best way to describe this movie is like the two biggest influences on this movie, I think, is the perfect combination of why you should watch this movie is Tarantino says his two biggest influences were The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, 100%. And, and Reservoir Dogs, which is Tarantino's own film. I don't know if that's <laughs> the first time a fucking filmmaker has either admitted to it or just in general been inspired by their own work, but I kind of <laughs> love that. And I do feel like this movie is kind of a close, like if you combine Reservoir Dogs and The Thing and then you make it a Western, that's what Hateful Eight is to me. Yeah. And then you know, like an additional hour of movie. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like longer than both of those. It's a Western, so it's got to be a little slower, but that's OK. I, I feel like part of the reason he did this movie is because he, he had done six other movies with Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what I haven't done with Sam Jackson? Reservoir Dogs. So let's yeah. just remedy that. <laughs> so wonderful i mean sam jackson's just been around and everything so i I just feel like you know i just hope they always work together basically they're like perfect peas in a pod yeah but the cool thing about this is that like tarantino outside of his own movie reservoir dogs which we've already talked a lot about the similarities but the thing is obviously we did an episode on that not too long ago it's like my favorite movie of all time like we love it we totally I totally can see the, the similarities and I'll list them all out for you. But I wanted to ask you what what you think this means, because Tarantino said that the hateful eight is a metaphor to break down his feelings about the thing, like the feeling that he had watching it for the first time. Like, what the fuck does that mean? I don't know, but I like it. It, it makes me like, hmm, that's cool. But like, I'm not sure I understand it. That's a dangerous question, because it's like. I think Tarantino maybe has seen more movies in general than any other person on earth. I'm giving him a run for his money, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he also, the way that he thinks like you watch any of his movies and you're like, how does someone think of that? He's done that for every single movie he's ever done. And yeah. So when I hear like, this is how he dealt with this, is how he processed watching the thing. Like I can only imagine that he watched the thing and he tried to like humanize the monster or something Mm. and like and he couldn't reconcile in his head at whatever point that was he's just like i feel like at the ending of the thing is a big part of it is like because the ending is ambiguous and he's like no there is more yeah (laughs) I don't know. I love what, that. what do you what do you think? Because that is a weird thing. Like, this is how I processed this, this is a metaphor movie. for my processing <laughs> yeah. of the breakdown of my feelings watching it. Well, I did hear. So I did a little research because I could not even begin to answer this converse, this fucking question or this statement. I guess. Did Tarantino get shot in the dick when he watched the thing like did that? I think at some point in his life, either he's re- it's his recurring nightmare. And he's like, this is it, my nightmare is like getting shot in the fucking dick. And a, his is, dream scenario is feet. We all know. We all know that. So it's like the thing was a metaphorical nut punch. <laughs> to yeah, the, apparently to him. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> no. So he said that like the first time he watched the thing, he said he loves horror movies, but it's not often that he's actually scared of them. And okay. he said he was really scared watching the thing. And he said that the feeling was like when you're watching it. And he said in the theater, it felt like 
the the paranoia was so palpable and it was like bouncing all over the two like between the two like the little like yeah. one location that they're in it's bouncing off the walls and it has nowhere to go but like out through the fourth wall into the audience so like you feel like you're in there with them and you're paranoid just like them you're all yeah. of a sudden in the situation with them and in that way I think that makes sense because I do feel hatefully really nails that with the paranoia yeah. and with like trying you kind of especially like from your experience of the 70 millimeter it sounds like it really puts you in the place of being in that place with these terrible people <laughs> yes yeah and in the 70 millimeter like you you feel like you're in the house like you feel yeah. like you're in the back corner and just like watching everything and also with 70 millimeter like you just you see so much of of the frame so it's mm -hmm. like the thing is happening in the middle but then like you're just kind of looking around to see oh, any movement anywhere else and there is like a lot of shots even watching on like the extended episodes um on netflix even in there like there's a lot of shots of just like the actors sitting in the background mm -hmm. and you're just like what are they doing even on like rewatch you're just like i know you're the bad guy but like mm -hmm. what are you doing <laughs> i know it's so much fun to like this is a great rewatchable i feel because of that but I think it's great. I think that's the way to explain how his feelings about the thing were. And I think he nailed it. But like, there's so many other ways that this movie is extremely similar to the thing, like the same opening shot, granted, slightly different because in the thing, it's a helicopter chasing a husky or like a yeah. dog and in the snow. And then this one is a stagecoach with yeah. horses. So similar. They're not yeah. chasing anything, but um it's also got the same composer for both films yeah which is crazy Anisio Morricone and he actually used unused parts of his score from the thing in this movie so like especially towards the end you can kind of hear yeah very similar score and I think at the beginning a little bit but um the poster is actually very similar they both have the silhouette of a man Sam Jackson for Hate Blade and then the the thing is just a generic guy in a like you know snowsuit yeah. or whatever but um they're all trapped in one location. The blizzard is fucked outside. Both yeah. movies, they have the lines that they have to hold on to to go anywhere. Um, when I there's... when I watched when I was watching all the scenes of them, like the lines, like setting yep. the lines, I was, I was like, this is straight out of the thing. There's also like every single person has like I would say almost every single person in this movie has a story that they tell about themselves or something mm -hmm. that they claim, and a lot of things that you just can't verify. Nothing yeah. you can confirm or deny. There's a lot of ambiguous stuff. I mean, like he just leaves everything up to the audience almost. And it's very similar to the thing. You can never really people will say, oh, I was doing this or doing that. But you can't believe anybody. And when they tell you something, you're like, I'm not sure if I really can believe you. Like, yeah, you're just so paranoid. And then also the last two guys left alive, a white and a black man. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. And they both are like left to die, a.k.a. most likely die. And yeah. they're like, let's just stay here a while and enjoy what we can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a very ambiguous ending. It's the, yeah, I hadn't thought about all the similarities, but you really nailed it. There's a lot There's of a similarities. Lot. <laughs> um, you want to know how I would describe this movie to oh, anyone? Who I would seen love it? to hear it, Jace. My, I'm sorry. My, I think mine was my, just no, you're perfect. Good. <laughs> Mine is much shorter, so we can just trans over, transition. All right. What <laughs> no. the fuck is it? <laughs> so um, I think it's safe to say that everyone talks about Inglorious Bastards way more than they talk about Hateful Eight. I think it's safe to say that, too. So one of the scenes from Inglorious Bastards that everyone talks about, it seems, is do you know what scene I'm I'm thinking of? 
Take a guess. I'm guessing the opening scene. No. Oh, is it the like other scene with their when they meet up with uh, the German actress in the bar? Yes, in the bar. Okay, I was gonna say it's one of those dialogue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so people love the bar scene with Michael Fassbender because like it's just this long drawn out thing, and it's in another fucking language too. Yeah. And there's there it's a total Tarantino move. No one can do a scene like that, like Tarantino. It's this long, I don't know, it's like 20 minutes, it feels like 30 is, minutes. Yeah. And then there's this underlying threat of there's a gun being pointed at someone. And then in a matter of seconds, everything pops off. Yeah. The way I describe hateful eight is that scene for three hours. It's like two hours, 35 minutes, and then it just goes to yeah, fucking it, crazy shit. It pops off several <laughs> times, but like yeah. it's it's a solid two hours before the first pop off. But yeah, like, like they, it's he's really milking it. But like if you enjoyed that table scene, you're right. You might enjoy this whole movie if you yeah. are OK with that being extended. Yeah, it's just as great dialogue, I will say. Oh, like, oh, yeah. Incredible and, stuff and suspense and like. Not knowing where things are going and not knowing who you could trust. It's got everything. Well, and one of my favorite parts, and this was something that I mentioned when we talked about the thing. I think one of the most impressive things about the thing is that all of the characters, there's not really like a bunch of backstory to them that we learn. Like they're just a crew that's working in Antarctica and this You're thing. Thrown right into them. the shit. And it's incredible that you can get so sucked into that story with such little like kind of character development. You're just like, you're, you're attached to these people. Hateful Eight is kind of the opposite. There's so much history that is, that is told of each of almost all of the characters, but the main characters, there's all this history, like Sam Jackson's history, Kurt Russell's history. Um, the, the Walton woman Goggins. Yeah, the woman who plays uh, Daisy. Like, there's all this history. That's Jennifer just like, Jason Lee. Let's say the thank, right name. But thank also, you. I only think of her as Daisy Domergu. I just can't think of her as anybody else now. She's been in a ton of stuff, but that's just who she is to me because she fucking nailed it. Nailed it. And we'll get into all the the actors part of it. But like, yeah, there's there's so much story that's built up of each of these characters. Even like the 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 you know, uh, Bruce Dern, who's like the confederate general like well well cut off my legs and call me a shorty general (laughs) sandy don't give a damn smithers (laughs) one of my favorite fucking quotes in this movie from uh chris mannix aka walton goggins about him that's how i remember his name is general sandy don't give a damn smithers (laughs) oh my god walton goggins is incredible incredible in this i think it's like the way that they introduce the like they first introduce sam jackson and he's Mm. talking to ob who's just a really wonderful character as well the coach driver and then you introduce sam jackson with john ruth the hangman kurt russell their whole history and getting him to trust him and get him on the carriage just to help him the lincoln letter the Lincoln letter, Daisy Dahmer grew like he's like beating the shit out of her. Like you're like Kurt Russell beats the shit out of her. In this beats movie. the shit. Oh, my. And I'll be damned if I don't laugh every fucking time because he's like. And even when Sam Jackson's like when they're like, you ain't no goddamn lady. <laughs> <laughs> she's not. She's a fucking bitch. Like 
everything that they do and say to her, I think is justified by the end of the movie. But like, maybe it's a little hard to take at the beginning, but like, I think it's safe to say she's like, you You kind of can tell who she is pretty quick. But yeah. then you introduce Chris Mannix, Walton Goggins. And those are like the four. That's like the core of like the cast. I would say those are the four like mains. The and you get that four. whole introduction. The core four. Yeah. yeah. Oh, RIP scream. Um, <laughs> but you do like get their whole thing in the carriage ride before you even get to the actual minis happy to haberdashery yeah. and like, everybody who's already staying there. I so it's, like, yeah. you have your main cast of characters and then it's like now I have I have time to get to know them. Yeah. And now I'm ready to jump in and figure out who the fuck these guys are, because now I'm already on these guys side. Chris Mannix, obviously a little off putting at first, but he really comes around. Well, and the the funny thing is, it's like, yeah, you're right. We have the core four and you have a lot of backstory with all of them. And then but then like even other characters, even characters that we don't see get a backstory like um, like General Smithers son. Like there's a whole story of his son. <laughs> it's like this guy's not even actually in the movie. Like it's he's such a weird scene. role for the actor. Like this yeah. is the one day he's on set for like a Tarantino movie and he's just naked walking through <laughs> the snow in snowshoes and nothing else. You see his dick quite a bit. Yeah. And then he's sucking Sam fucking. <laughs> I mean, it's cra- he's sucking Sam Jackson's dick. And you're just like, what a strange role for this guy. I wonder if he's done anything else. Oh, my God. <laughs> But so the good. the thing that I love about this is like the title is the hateful eight and it's very accurate. Mm-hmm. All of these people are extremely hateful. And I and there's no there's no good guy in this. There is. No, there's not. There's these two are, good guys. These are all bad people dealing with each other. That was no. the thing, that was the thing that I liked is it's like, hey, what if we took. Uh, eight really bad people. Bad in their own ways. Some and, worse than a lot worse. Oh yeah, than yeah. Others. There's definitely worse than others for okay. sure. But they're like, all they're all pretty, pretty. I would they're say they're all object- fucking bad. I would say they're give all that. objectively bad. Like, like uh, Kurt Russell, the the hangman. I mean, he's probably the best of the bunch because he's he's bringing in criminals. But like, there's something pretty sinister there that. He given the choice of dead or alive, he's making more work for himself just to watch people die. <laughs> I think it's nice because he's looking out for the hangman. He's like, he's got to earn a paycheck. That, and I'm like, I pro- love that. That was the best like justification I, I've ever heard for somebody like that. He's like, oh, I'm just keeping somebody in business. And I was like, yeah, and I'm like, God damn, that is quite a point. <laughs> that is great. I love that. they. I mean, he is the son of a bitch. Everybody is. But like, yeah. I would say like Kurt Russell Sam Jackson and uh, fucking Walton Goggins are the heroes of the movie, which is yes. so weird to yes. say. But like Walton Goggins, he comes off not like as a total racist, but like he ends up being smarter than a lot of the people there. And he's actually a good guy by the end. And same with Sam Jackson. Sure. Yeah, that was pretty upsetting what he did to this, you know, general son, if it's <laughs> true. However, kind of feel like the guy deserved it. Just saying. Well. And Walt Goggins has maybe the best character arc, but then really the way the movie ends just solidifies that they're really not very good people. Because I think it makes them look very good. We're gonna we're gonna die with the satisfaction that we hung this bitch. Yeah, they did it. They did it for John Ruth, who saved their lives. Okay, like I just happen to think (laughs) this movie actually has a very happy ending compared to the to the thing because 
I you're agree. not sure who's the thing. You know, one of them could be bad, but it's like, I mean, just the whole arc of friendship for Sam Jackson and Walton Goggins in this movie to be so and en- such yeah. enemies the entire when he's like, go hee haw somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I well, told you, Hillbilly. It's like, and he is the worst. And yeah. you love them going against each other the whole movie that, like, by the time that they like are realizing, like, these are trivial differences that we're having. Yeah. Let's fucking kill this bitch because she <laughs> yeah. deserves it. And it's so I love how they think it's beautiful because like she fucking deserves it by this point. OK, <laughs> yeah, I felt like as I was watching, it, I felt like this was Tarantino's way of playing with the audience, because like when we watch a movie like we 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 need we need someone to root for. We need a hero of the movie. He's like, what if I forced the audience to find a hero amongst these eight terrible people like because like Sam yeah. Jackson he they they start him off that like he was fighting the confederates and he was really good at, at killing the the southerners but then they're like oh also he didn't care about killing the northerners either as collateral damage like <laughs> yeah but like come on i mean it just felt like this guy it sounds i just feel like i'm I, maybe it's just because sam jackson's great but like i think tarantino said that he liked the idea of having like Walton Goggins and Sam Jackson be like the unexpected heroes in this yeah, movie yeah, yeah. because they were the the antagonists, I guess. In Django, they both worked for Calvin Candy on the plantation. Steven, you stay right there. You're right where you belong. <laughs> um, I just like I love them both in that movie, and they're both also like terrible people in that. But like this one is like such a difference to me. I mean, they start off, you're like, oh god, maybe they're not great, but. Sam Jackson's incredible in this movie. He notices everything. He's ahead oh, yeah. of everybody. He's the true hero. And I think you were telling me this is the first time Sam Jackson has been the the top build, has been the lead in a Tarantino movie in the six movies they've done. It's crazy to me that <laughs> Sam Jackson has always... I guess people, some people will say that like, oh, technically in Pulp Fiction, they thought that he was a lead. because, But I'm like... That movie is more of an ensemble cast than most, I would say. If anything, John Travolta, maybe. But like, I think I think Sam Jackson's supporting in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah. You if know? there was a lead, it's probably John Travolta. That's probably the. That's also pr- John Travolta is probably the highest profiled actor that Tarantino casted because I think that was when John Travolta was still like really big. I think it was like a career resurgence after that for him. Maybe. I believe but, that's what it was. I looked it up. I did a shit ton of research. <laughs> but I, I feel like the the next like most famous person, like Uma Thurman was was big for Kill Bill, but like I, I don't feel like Uma Thurman was ever like that superstar, mm-hmm. like was in a bunch of movies. I feel like Brad Pitt was like Leo the most famous person. Yeah. For Inglorious Bastards, like the most famous casted person since John Travolta. Probably kind yeah. of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't um, know. We'll we'll check those numbers. I'm not sure if that'll I'm not going to we'll, try and do we'll that get right our, now. We'll get our alleged research team on that. <laughs> yeah. Alleged being the strong fucking word there. <laughs> I mean, Jamie Foxx also might have a word with you is all I'm saying. Oh, touche, um, touche. <laughs> just there's a lot of people that have been in a lot of his movies, but I actually wrote down all of the movies that Sam Jackson has been in with like who he's played. I don't know if we're ready to switch over to the cast, but I, th- I, th- I think we should. OK. Um. All right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see if I can guess these. Okay. Good for you. I love it. All right. Jackie Brown. Yes. 
Pulp Fiction. Ordell Robbie in Jackie Brown, I just want to say. And that was his first. Oh, no, no. Pulp Fiction was his first time with Sam. Yes. And he plays Jules. Yep. Uh, Pulp Fiction, Hateful Eight, uh, Django. Mm Mm-hmm. That is, is that four? (laughs) You have four. There's a... there's at least sorry there's one two more that you missed but i don't blame you because they're really easy to miss was he he in the kill bills he's in kill bill volume two very beginning scene when they do the flashback to like her wedding massacre he's like the piano player there and he barely speaks his name is rufus and in inglorious bastards he's the narrator oh (laughs) that's why you're like totally cool to not remember that because it's like barely but yeah He's the narrator in that movie. So it's like he technically isn't it. But like, I I just it's it's one that you would totally not even think of. Wow. So it took six films for him to become the lead. <laughs> I know as if he needed to figure out like where. I mean, I just love that this movie really became like the it's kind of like the amalgamation of everything because he's got a little bit of everything. He's a little good, a little bad, a little dark, some fucked up shit that he says yeah. and does. But he's also fucking hilarious. He's just so good. He's kind of everything. It's everything that he's good at to like the thousandth degree. It's just turned up all the way. Sam Jackson has so many incredible lines in this movie. And he has so many amazing moments. Like Mm -hmm. the first thing I think of, and it's not my favorite thing, but it's the first thing I think of is his monologue of what he did to Smithers kid. And like from him sitting down in the chair and like getting to know him, he's like, like, oh, yeah, we're just like building a bond. He's like, no, he's setting him up from the very beginning. And so good. (laughs) And like, it's like that whole setup and then telling the story, setting the gun on the table and then like walking away and just egging him on to grab Mm -hmm. the gun so he could kill him in self-defense. I'm like. This is this is his Oscar reel. If he was up for best actor like that's you can't say much of that in an in a public TV setting because it's pretty disgusting. But like that's his moment. Unbelievable. He's got some great moment like lines in there, though, when he's like, oh, you like, do you know the day he died? And he's like, no, do you want to? And he's like, yes. And he goes, the day he met me. And I'm like, (laughs) damn, like just the way that he says that. But then he's like. It's such a great monologue because you don't actually know if it's true. Like, that's yeah. the one thing I was kind of curious to get your like feelings on, because a lot of people tell stories in this movie. But, yeah. you know, obviously some of them are totally false. But like this one's kind of ambiguous for a reason. Tarantino didn't give an answer. You could take it kind of either way. Like maybe he wasn't he felt that the guy wasn't going to go for the gun until he amped up the story a bit. But I I also noticed like Nolan caught the fact that he says i grabbed his black hair and when he's talking about how he forced him to give him a bj which is just crazy um and the dad i mean obviously he could be in shock but he doesn't say hey he doesn't have brown black hair or anything like that so maybe he did know him i don't know that it's curious like that's why there's there's clues both ways what do you what is your thoughts i i felt like based off the character Everything he said up to this point is he kills people. His entire job is making it's the path of least resistance. He's doing things to be as easy as possible. So I felt like he was lying 
purely to egg on the father to shoot him. So I feel like he just killed those guys. But that whole story of like him making him walk out the snow naked until he collapsed and then, yeah, essentially face fucking him <laughs> until he dies. Like, I felt like that was exaggerated. But it, the entire point was he was trying to get him to grab the gun so that he could kill him. Mm-hmm. That that that's what I thought because I'm like this is a lot of work for someone who's up to this point. He, even with um with John Rowe, he's like John Ruth. John Ruth, he's like you're making more work for yourself. Like yeah, nobody said not... it had to be that hard either. Yeah, <laughs> and he he tells like one guy's like I'm trying. I'm not trying to give myself more work. Yeah, so it's like I feel like he killed that guy, but then he he knew that once he learned who that guy was, he's like. As I've done my whole life, I've just killed Confederates. I'm going to make you point the gun at me so I can defend myself. Because they also even said, like, if you kill this guy, I'll hang you yeah. in Red Rock. So <laughs> I, I feel like that's my thought is that hmm. he didn't actually do that because, God, that would be the worst. Death. I honestly think he did do it is the thing. <laughs> I think everything that they've shown from Sam Jackson's character for the entire movie is honestly enough proof for me to say this sounds <laughs> like it tracks because like he is like very much like a vengeance. I think of him as like he's all about vengeance, right? And getting revenge against the white man because they've I mean, I get it. Like, I'm obviously not black, but like, I can understand why he would fucking hate them. And these guys are like literally just going up to fucking kill him. So like the fact that when this when they start begging for their lives and that that's when the guy told him who he was and his dad, I feel like this kind of does make sense for Sam Jackson, though. <laughs> like, you know what? Maybe and maybe he didn't do all the things. Maybe he didn't really make him blow him. But like, maybe he did do at least part of it. And I think yeah. he definitely did torture the guy. I honestly kind of feel like it's all real. They show it. So that kind of implies a flashback. Although Sam Jackson says like, oh, you're starting to see pictures now. Right. And it's like the dad, they kind of make it set up like it's him imagining it. But I don't know. It's hard to tell. I just think, you know, Sam Jackson kind of seems like a sadist a little bit in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And he's also pretty smart. I, I and I think the dad says at the beginning that his son was here to, for his fortune and that if he had done what he came for, he would he would have come home. So I definitely think his son was there to kill oh, Sam yeah. Jackson. I think that for sure. Yeah. So I just feel like if Sam Jackson really did find out who he was, I think it was I think he would have fun. I think it makes sense. Yeah. But I kind of love that because then it makes him more of a gray character, you know? I mean, I think at best, all of these characters are gray. <laughs> yeah, but he's like the lightest shade of gray. <laughs> yeah. And he's also just like, he's so fucking funny in this movie. Like, he has oh. so many lines that are just hysterical, especially the last hour of the movie. After he gets his nuts shot off, mm -hmm. he just, I called, I, I put in my notes, I'm just like, this is un unhinged perfection. Like, yeah. Everything he says, like even the parts where like he says something, laughs at his own joke, and then he's like, ah, yeah, he's he pain. ends every single laugh with like, ah, like he's just it's so good. And he's like, my favorite part of that is uh, we'll get and I'm we'll talk about Channing Tatum. But yes, 
the the fact that he calls him at least multiple times you bushwhack and sack shooter <laughs> and he just comes because it's like he's so fucking pissed at him i would be too for getting shot under the floorboards and through the balls and the dick that's just got to be horrible <laughs> but the way when he when like he's like okay now He's like, now throw out your pistol. <laughs> and then and then Sam Jackson tells Walton Goggins, like, I bet he got another one. He goes, now throw out your other pistol. And he says, I got another pistol. And the way Sam Jackson just so fucking quick goes, well, you better shit another pistol out your ass. If you don't throw one out here in the next few seconds, we go kill this bitch. <laughs> that is that is my favorite line in the entire movie. And immediately he fucking throws out another pistol. And I just love that he goes, told you. Told you. <laughs> told you he did. I also really enjoy throughout this whole movie his um his obvious distrust and everything that he like throws at uh Bob. Senor Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> well, that that's the part that I, I love about his character is that like his whole thing is that he lives out on these mountains. He's survived out here. People have hunted him and he's just survived out here. And he knows he knows um um is it Maisie or Minnie and Sweet Day? Minnie. He knows them. Like he visits them and like yeah. stays there. Like he knows these people. So from the moment that he gets in, he knows things aren't right. Mm -hmm. And he's just long conning all I know. of these people. He holds on to it. It's crazy. Like I feel like I'm I never could I don't have a good poker face. I feel like I'm, you know, you know this, but like I'm the type of person that people are like, I know exactly what you're thinking when you're thinking it because I just can't hide it. So <laughs> uh, the fact that he can do that and be sitting on that and he like kind of hints at it obviously he's questioning him and throwing things out there and i just fucking love that but yeah i think the last like third of the movie with once he's like you know i think after the poisoning goes yeah. down it, the film is actually really hilarious i feel like people may think that's when it gets really dark but like i find that that's when it's like a fucking laugh fest from beginning to end of that whole section oh yeah the poisoning is when is the is the moment in uh, Inglorious Bastards, when he shoots him, and then the whole bar gets shot up. Yeah, that's the moment in Hateful Eight where that's the first pop off. Yeah, is oh my god, what's happening? What what's happening? <laughs> and then there's several <laughs> after, but like that's the I, first one. And that's like I I love it that as soon as like Daisy gets the gun and she like shoots John Ruth, and then it's like she's like ha like she's so excited, and then. Fucking Sam Jackson is already right there with the gun to her head. Give me that gun, bitch. Yeah. And then I, I just love when he like after I think he like shoots her in the foot to like warn her later. And he's like, oh, you believe in Jesus now, huh, bitch? Good, because you about to meet him. <laughs> it's just so fucking great. That whole section. And like uh. even the I think it just speaks to like he plays his character perfectly. But like how quick he reacts to everything and how he's always one step ahead. Mm -hmm. When Joe Gage tries to pull some shit, he's like right there and has the knife to his throat. When Daisy does, he's like, give me that fucking gun. So it's like unfortunate for him that like the one person who's able to pull the, you know, get the jump on him is under the floorboards. However, it's just it's so great. He's just perfect. Yeah, it. he's he's 10 out of 10. He should have won an Oscar. Well, since you mention um, Oscar nominations, let's talk about uh, Jennifer Leahy playing. Stop. No, Jennifer Jason Lee. 
It's Lee. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry. Jennifer Jason Lee, but uh, you didn't Excuse even include the middle. Me. She's one of those actors like Sarah Jessica Parker or something that has like or Sarah Michelle Gellar, like three names, you know? Oh, God. Okay. Fine. Just call her Daisy Dahmer Goose. I did. And I then you were her. like, oh, it's Jennifer Jason Lee. You said Jennifer Leahy. I'm just trying I did to help this people time understand earlier. So I said Daisy. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm just helping people. Anyways. <laughs> uh yes so jennifer jason lee nice she was nominated for this and well deserved because she was wonderful in it she plays a truly vile human being maybe the most vile the most hateful out of all the characters it's it's i think she might be it She's more she, hateful than everybody. And she gets the shit beat out of her. And like, I have to say, I love it. And it's weird because she's like covered in blood most of this movie, but she's still in a good mood. She's yeah. covered in chili. She's got her like nose broken, her teeth, front two teeth get broken. I mean, she really just gets it. And then she, <laughs> I mean, she dies by the end. But I would say maybe outside of, I don't know, I guess this is my other question. Do you think she suffers more than OB? Throughout this movie, because I kind of feel like poor Ob, he's the one that suffers through everything. Well, okay, okay. So wait, you, you think this is actually a conversation? I'm just saying, poor <laughs> Ob. Maybe just because he also OB doesn't deserve it. Is the <laughs> easily the most sympathetic? Yeah. Besides the the people that run the place that all I'm die, just saying they both really get it. And like, as much as Ob, sure he checks out early, I guess. But I just feel like he goes outside every time somebody <laughs> goes outside, and every time he's almost dying, and he just gets the fucking just the worst. He gets the luck of the draw, and it's terrible every time. I I think outside of Ob, she gets the most beat up over the course of the movie. Oh, I think she easily gets the most beat up of the entire movie. Like the first hour, it's like the episode one of the extended cut. She gets hit in the face like three or four times by like two different characters, like between Kurt Russell and Sam Jackson. Like they're just <laughs> knocking the shit out of her. You like them, Bell bitch? <laughs> and she has a black eye from the very beginning. So yeah. like Kurt Russell knocked her up. <laughs> Who yeah, knocked the, her up? <laughs> I mean, a funny thing on that note is it's obviously a very abusive relationship, but the scene when they're handcuffed and they're like eating the chili, or yeah. the, stew, the stew, I don't know. I just got real vibes of like old married couple. Yeah, I <laughs> like... did too. When they like, he like literally is like, okay, I'm going to let you do this. Like sometimes I kind of feel like he kind of likes her in certain ways where he's like, he'll laugh at something she says. Yeah. Or like whatever, but he also just treats her like shit. But yeah, they kind of had that chemistry, which is a strange thing because you'd think they hate each other. And yeah. it's like they just have this weird chemistry. Yeah, like, yeah, they have a really good chemistry together. And like <laughs> even the part like in the very beginning when they're in the carriage and he's like talking and then she keeps slapping his chest for the beef jerky. Like she's just kind of giving him the backhand, not looking at him. I was like, this is hilarious. He's like, it's coming. It's coming. I, I love it too. Yeah. They just have this like kind of fun little friendship almost, but cause they just have to be like, they're, they do have to be somewhat civil to each other, like throughout it because they're stuck. They're fucking handcuffed to each other. He's made it pretty difficult. Like and, you're stuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and another just brilliant thing from from Quentin Tarantino, like the entire movie, we're trying to figure out who's lying. And mm -hmm. Daisy Domergue is the like, I think is the only character that we don't ever question. 
Like we know exactly who she is the yeah. entire movie. And so when when John Ruth and everyone, when they're at the cabin, like he's handcuffed to her, but she's the only known factor. Everyone yeah. else he's trying to figure out. So yeah, like there is kind of this like closeness between them because he's like, I know exactly what you are. You are not a threat. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is. Like yes. it, it's really brilliant and like really interesting how they play that. And then yeah. Kurt Russell and, and her are so good at just like playing together of just this totally dysfunctional kind of like, yeah, little like weird relationship. Oh, a hundred percent. I and I also, also he's and then Sam Jackson says, You just killed the only guy that had any motivation to save your life. Like yeah. the only motivation <laughs> to keep you alive. Like he's the only one who was like trying to keep you alive on your way to Red Rock, but like we could just blow your fucking head off. Like that is true. <laughs> Like, I know they didn't plan on these other two guys, but it would you would think that they would want to take those guys out before they take out John Ruth. Yeah, I know those guys could have just drank the coffee and they almost did, but did not. But it just feels like, you know, why would you really go for the guy that's the only one trying to keep her alive at this point? It does feel like, oh, maybe we should have thought about the other guys first. But I love the fact that, like, I think when I think of this movie a lot, I always hear Red Rock in her fucking voice, the way that she says it. And like her whole thing about the 15 killer strong. It's just so good. And I also love that she just keeps being and she enjoys herself throughout the movie as much as she's getting the shit kicked out of her. Like even after she's like laughing when they find out about the Lincoln letter being a fake. Oh, my God. And she's laughing and then gets the fucking like he <laughs> Kurt Russell just throws the, the fucking stew in her face. Yeah. And she just blows it off and goes, <laughs> like she's still laughing. I kind of like she's kind of endearing in that way. I have to say that, that <laughs> scene is probably my second favorite scene behind Jackson and shitting out a pistol. <laughs> but, pistol. You like, better shit another pistol out your ass. Yeah, it's I like can't get wh- over it. Yeah, when when he talks about how he, he faked the Lincoln letter because it disarms white people. And yeah. then, I mean, Kurt Russell just looks devastated. And then her laughing is the funniest thing ever. She's like. When she laughs and says, talk that sass. And then, yeah, I'm not going to finish the line, you know, for obvious reasons. But this movie's uh, <laughs> kind of tough with that. Not as bad as Django, though. Uh, I I was I forgot how often they say the Edward of this movie. I actually feel like they might say it more than Django. But... No, Django is the like it's over like 100 or something. It's like <laughs> at 200 or I swear it's like really a lot. Like every other word in that movie is the N word. This movie is like way less. The other movie that even comes close would be like Jackie Brown, but it's only said a few times. They're like way less than this one. And I did read that Sam Jackson says that a lot of times in the movies that he's in of Tarantino's, he adds some extra N words just for just to add it to the thing. Like I'm going to make it even more like that. So I kind of love that for him. And he just they nail it in this movie. But I would say between it's like Sam Jackson and Walton Goggins probably would say it the most. Yeah. Oh, and then <laughs> Bruce Dern, I feel like he has a run as the as Smithers. Yeah. He he says it like he might say it the most in one line. I feel like yeah, there's one part one where sentence. he says it like three or four times in a sense. But... Yeah, but I think Walton Goggins has to have him. Beat. Oh, he says it every other word almost about yeah. this, about Sam Jackson. And he's constantly go and antagonizing him. That's <laughs> yeah. why it's like, go. I, I said, no, hillbilly. Go hee-haw somewhere <laughs> else. And it's like so true because like Walton Goggins, I don't know if we're going to talk about him next, but like what we will. What an amazing guy. And like amazing. his 
the way that he works in this movie is just so good. Uh, it grows. I, I want to wrap up Daisy Dahmer, Domergue. Um, well, this is actually more just the Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, I think this movie maybe has the second most um, mentioned trivia or maybe the second most famous movie trivia. First most famous movie trivia, I feel like, is Lord of the Rings, The Two Tower, when Vigo breaks his foot and screams. That happened in real life. There's all the memes about it. Everybody like, says that. I feel yeah. like the second one has to be Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell and the guitar breaking the guitar and like like I, I was I was looking up the the history it's like that's like a 150 year old Martin which like is one of the the most the, I think it it's the priceless. oldest it's like the <laughs> oldest guitar company in, in the U.S. and he thought it was a prop and that's why her reaction so great <laughs> he smashes the shit out of it that's also the guitar I guess from the trivia it looks like she learned how to play that song that she does. She like learned how to play guitar on that guitar. So she had like this emotional kind of connection to it. And then he just, just smashes the shit. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Somebody and, forgot to tell Kurt Russell that they're going to swap guitars because he just thought she was playing on the old, like the junk one. Yeah. And I just love that like Tarantino's like, yeah, that sucked. But like, honestly, I got a great shot for my movie. <laughs> And then uh, that guitar was from the Martin Guitars Museum. It was like a museum, yeah. Like yeah. literally, it never been like they were like they they stopped lending things out. To yeah, they're <laughs> like no. That movie is the reasons they will not lend out historical instruments ever again. One hundred percent. It's like this is like the non lethal version of like when an actor gets killed from a firing a blank or something. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the, pro the props department was not communicating with the actors. And, yes. Oh my Thank God. God he wasn't banging it on someone's head because he <laughs> yeah. might have actually killed him. But for real, though, I, I, I love that little piece of trivia. And I just I can't say enough how much I love Jennifer Jason Lee. She's so good in this. And it's so against type for her, I feel like. I mean, like she first started in fast times at Ridgemont high and she's like super young and she's super hot and gets naked a bunch and it's a great movie but it's like so her career she's done a lot of different things but I will say like I've never seen her this vile and I love it yeah she she like there's never a point in the movie where she gets better in terms of yeah. her looks like no she, she only gets worse she starts with a black eye and then she breaks her nose and then she gets so uh, covered in blood stew thrown on her. And then Kurt Russell vomits blood all over. And then she gets Channing Tatum's brains blown all over her two front teeth, knocked out, yeah. foot shot and then hung. It's yeah. just like, Oh, and shot. She gets shot too. Yeah. She's fucking nuts. She really goes through the ringer. I heard Tarantino like had to write a version of this script from her point of view in order to like justify her end being yeah. so like terrible for a woman. But I'm like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But it's like, I feel like people have said that this movie is like really anti-feminist stuff because like they just torture women and everyone's happy about it. But I'm like, you're missing the point. And it would be sexist to not punish her for being a bad person. If she was a woman, like you should punish equally. Right. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. People are crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is kind of like when we talked about Barbie, it's like people are just bringing their own politics into it. Exactly. It's like, just I get over yourself. I think Tarantino, he creates a character and then leads us on a journey where she 
becomes vile and it's it, it has nothing she to, is vile but she yeah, becomes more vile yeah, by every we, frame we learn how vile she is <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't matter if she's a guy or a girl like and also the guys who kill her are also not good people they're just getting revenge on her and so it's like it didn't matter and i feel like they really wrote that out really well where it had nothing to do with her being a woman. I mean, she's not just... raped once in this movie, which yeah. is ideal. I mean, you'd think that that would be like on the table. I mean, granted, like three of the guys are working with her. But yeah. like you would think that like if if it really was anti women, there would be like at least one rape scene. I feel, you yeah. know, like really it's uncomfortable, like, really bad to watch. It's like even Channing Tatum, like when he gets his head blown off, she kind of reacts to it but she's like she i'm cries. the leader now yeah <laughs> like, she does recover quickly i will say yeah. but that's because she's a fucking disgusting person but so, i will say like for the whole cast it's interesting to note that tarantino wanted to cast mostly people from the 90s who were really popular and like especially two people from his movie from the 90s but i just think that's another reason why jennifer jason lee was perfect i did hear he looked at jennifer lawrence but she's too uh, young i think is what he yeah, said yeah she's too young he could be great though Oh, she would have she would have been able to do it. But yeah, because yeah. I feel like I feel like part of the the relationship between her and Channing Tatum is that she was older mm -hmm. than Channing Tatum. But Channing Tatum was the leader of this yeah. racist gr group. I mean, they're just, yeah, like a gang. So like <laughs> it's kind of like the, the whole you're not the leader because you're a woman yep. in this racist group. So the younger guy is the leader. And so now she's the leader. But let's talk about Channing Tatum real quick. Yeah, because he's very quickly in this movie. That's perfect. Is Channing Tatum just like the king of cameos? Like he is. I love him as a cameo. I think he's incredible. I mean, between this, Bullet Train, he has a great cameo. This is Fucking, the end. This is the end, I was just about to say. I mean, he's just so good whenever he pops up, and I feel like that guy's just down for anything. Yeah. Like, he's up for whatever, you know? He'll do whatever you want, and especially to work with Tarantino. I'm very glad that they actually like went back and did a flashback. I feel like some people talk shit about having a flashback to like the first stagecoach and the gang arriving and killing yeah. everyone. I love that part because it at least got like, I mean, what would Tan Channing Tatum be in this movie for if he didn't have yeah. a scene like that? Plus, that it really was, sets up everything perfectly. That was also something that worked really well when I saw it in theaters with the intermission because when the narrator comes out and like recap stuff that happened right after the intermission perfect so like watching it in one take like at home the narration might seem kind of odd mm -hmm. like wait there's a narrator now and it's like yeah that was made for the intermission to just catch yeah. one up and then also transition to the the thing yeah, I think it's like I kind of accept it in the same way of like he has Sam Jackson narrate in Inglorious Bastards. It's very like few and far between, but when he does, it's just like I love it. And then same with Kurt Russell in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He also narrates certain sections. It's not like from the beginning he's the narrator. It's just like it kind of pops in and out. Yeah. It's just Tarantino style. But yeah. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, like Charity Tatum was funny because like when yeah, when he shoots when he shoots Sam Jackson in the balls, I'm like was that Ter was that was that Cheney Tatum? Wait, what? Yeah. I was like honestly surprised. I was like, and he's like, say adios to your huevos. It's like <laughs> yeah. so good. And it just comes out of nowhere. So then it's perfect to like after Sam Jackson's on the ground screaming to transition back to like earlier that day. Yeah. And it's really cool to see like the actual names of the other gang because you're like, you know, you only know them as 
Oswaldo Mowbray and Senor Bob and Joe Gage, which are great names, I have to say. But it's like you see the whole gang and then you really see like I think Channing Tatum as beautifully as he is. I think they did a good job of making him like suave and charming, but also like really kind of scary two face kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good. And it was also like a a good cameo because like at this point, you know, he was really hot off of Magic Mike, mm-hmm. um, G.I. Joe the uh 20 21 22 jump street so like he was really hot off that so i feel like that's a casting that no one was expecting to see him in a tarantino movie and so then like it was really jarring and surprising and fun and then like getting to see that's the best part of the flashbacks is that it's he's not just in that one scene where he shoots and then he gets his head blown off it's like we actually get to see him be a bandit you know, yep. and be charming and, and all this. Yeah. Stuff. And he was he was great. I know. And then I just love that, like, Sam Jackson blows his fucking head off as soon as he comes out. It's <laughs> like you're like, oh, shit. And he's like, she's like, he was giving up. And he's like, well, he took too long. So I did it for him. Because <laughs> He's just like, if I was Sam Jackson, I would have shot that guy's fucking head off, too. As soon as yeah. he came up, you bushwhacking sack shooter. <laughs> That's perfect. That's my favorite description of him ever. And I will always think of him that way. But can we can we go to Walton Goggins now? I can't hold back. anymore. OK. Okay, I was going to say, should we go to him or Kurt Russell? Let's go to Walt Goggins. We've talked about Kurt Russell a bit, but we'll get, we'll talk a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Walt, Walt Goggins. Yeah, he's more of the lead. Like, I would say the three people that are the most important in this movie yeah. is Sam Jackson and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Walt Goggins. Yeah. They're the three well, that make it to the end, technically. Yeah. <laughs> Walt Goggins is wonderful in this. I so I, good. I don't I don't think he was nominated for a supporting role. But no, I think he, Jennifer Jason Lee is the only Oscar nom for acting. I mean, he was incredible. Maybe he didn't get nominated just for the sheer amount of times he says the N word. But <laughs> I mean, they nominated fucking um, I mean, they they nominated Leo DiCaprio in Django right before that. So I, mean, I, I really don't think it's that. That's the problem. I mean, Leo does have prestige behind him. Yeah, oh. sure. Sure. But like, still, I think you could just tell, like, obviously, this isn't like he's like playing like his character's name, not Walton. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a fucking, you know, it's a Tarantino movie. I doubt that. I feel like most of the white actors, they must just feel so uncomfortable every time they do one of his movies. I know Leo (laughs) said that. Yeah, I, I can't believe like, I mean, outside of literally, we've said it, but outside of Sam Jackson, I think Chris Mannix, Sheriff Chris Mannix, a.k.a. Walt Goggins, says it definitely the second most. Yeah. So you asked me, uh, did I believe question oh, earlier? Yeah, I was about Sam Jackson's you, story. Do you believe that he's the sheriff of I Red do. Rock? I do. I think by the end, I think by the end, I feel like I trust him enough that like he kind of seems like he's totally full of shit from the beginning. Yeah. And also the fact that like, he doesn't really have any proof, but all you know, he's also a racist and not a good person. It seems like from the very beginning. Yeah, and I'll I'll say by the end he's still a fucking racist. But he's <laughs> really come com- over, he's come overcome that and he's changed a bit. And I would say they know, have a common enemy. <laughs> they have a common enemy. We'll see. I mean, you know, he's gonna die, but at least he dies a little bit better than he was when he was yeah. alive. So I kind of love that. But yeah, I I feel like he is the sheriff. I could totally see it being not real, but like. I, I do feel like he kind of has enough to back it up at this point that he was telling the truth. I I 
I don't. You don't think believe these... anybody in this movie. <laughs> I, I I don't. But I think I think that's kind of the point. Oh yeah, that hundred percent. Who they are doesn't actually matter. It's what they do that that really defines how hateful they are. They are like they they lay out through throughout the movie how hateful these people are. The only thing that we know for sure is that Daisy and those uh, three guys were part of the crew. We don't know if there's 15 other people. We don't there's know. definitely no 15 fucking strong ass killers in Red Rock. Yeah. That you will pull those out of your ass whenever you need be. Like when Chris Mannix is like, I want to hear her pitch, seeing as she got nothing to sell, <laughs> yeah. right? That whole part at the end. And he's like, okay, bitch. All <laughs> <laughs> all let's hear it. Let's yeah. go. And just the way that he gets, he gets very excited about like things and he's yeah. just so positive, even though he's such like a racist for so long. <laughs> but by the end, I just think because him and Sam Jackson are the heroes, technically, yeah. I think that that's what makes me believe both of them whenever they told stories. I think looking back now, watching it so many times, yeah, that's probably why I'm convinced that they both were telling the truth. I agree with you. I think they're the, the technical heroes of the story, but I just don't actually believe really out of the stories that they that they well told. good good job on tarantino because it worked <laughs> yeah. basically and it's fun because like you don't need to have an answer to have the conversation you yeah, know like it's exactly fun to, it's fun like what was your interpretation do you believe him do you think he face fucked that guy's son like <laughs> i mean right i don't know but i'm like that's kind of fucking badass as crazy as it is but you're like shit man that's gotta i mean you gotta get to a certain place to be able to do that shit but yeah um, chris yeah. manic chris mannix is maybe outside of sam jackson the funniest character oh they're so it, he's the best he's funny just in how he talks how he talks and his enthusiasm it's just it's how about you domagoo <laughs> it's like almost endearing but you're like this guy's also like a piece of shit like yeah. the way that he talks about like general sandy smithers <laughs> well i'll be double dog damned <laughs> <laughs> do you want my blanket <laughs> let me get you some stew like i one of my favorite <laughs> scenes is when I think it's uh it's John... just part of the extended edition, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, but it, it's when John Ruth, I think it's John Ruth and Daisy are talking over the stew, and then you hear uh Chris Mannix and General Smithers, and he's like, You gotta eat, sir. Yeah, he's trying <laughs> like, to get him to sit at the you table. Hear it in the back, he's like, I'm not gonna eat with them at the table he's yeah. like you gotta keep your strength up sir you gotta do it he's so fucking <laughs> bent like, on it and it's like why just, don't you just bring him some stew <laughs> you just hear it i just love that you hear this whole dialogue in the background yeah the, it's like uh it's not even a b plot of a movie no. it's like the c plot of a that's scene why, like... <laughs> that's why it's only in the extended edition that is just some extra color that you get to add to these people it's just so great because it's like that's what i would say the extended edition isn't like oh my god it changes everything but it adds little extra pieces for all the characters that mm -hmm. they're already very well developed but like just these extra little things just get a little bit more and God, it must just be an actor's dream to be in this kind of a movie for Tarantino because it literally is all about acting. I mean, yeah. everybody in this movie has to be great. 
the one person that we might go, oh, is he a bit much or what is he up to is Senor Bob, I think. Because he, <laughs> like, to me, I think he's like the Mexican James Franco because his eyes are always closed. Yeah. There's one, like, especially at the end when like Sam Jackson's like interrogating him really closely. I feel like his his one eye's open, the other one's closed the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a character choice? Yeah. <laughs> His eyes never open. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Senor Bob, he was he's funny, though. He's funny. <clears throat> we don't really learn anything about him. We learned that he can play the piano kind of and play Silent Night. Marco, um, the Mexican ain't worth a peso <laughs> <laughs> after he blows his fucking head off. Uh, but... I love that whole thing, though, and Bob being like, it seems like almost if Bob wasn't the one that they said was working there. Yeah. For many that like they might have been okay. Yeah, but he, she know? has the she has the one side, no dogs and no Mexicans. Yeah. <laughs> and you uh, know, she took it down because she started letting in dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and I also love that in the background of both of those comments, you get a great laugh out of Chris Mannix. You're like, you fucking racist. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like he's still a good guy at this point. So you're like, ah. Oh, not endearing, but you kind of like put up with it. That but, that, yeah. that was that was a fun thing. Because, like, yeah, there's very obvious ties to the thing. Um, mm -hmm. But the one thing that, like, if you're watching this and you know that it's inspired by the thing is like, okay, so there's clearly not an alien in this movie. What are they going to do? And when they get to the, the poisoning scene and all that. Yep. And then you get the whole scene of uh, of 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 Major Marquise Warren. Marquess. Marquez. Okay. Made to Marquez. I always <laughs> hear it in Walton Goggins' voice. All right. So when he when when he's doing the whole exposition of yeah who's who's doing things, I was like, okay, so this is like murder mystery. It you is. Know? It's very much like, and, and then there were none or something like an Agatha Christie story. I was gonna say, and they do the uh, murder on the Orient Express where everyone is a part of the plan. But this time I understood it versus yeah. on the Orient Express. It's too it's too smart for me. But this one, yeah. I'm like, I, I got it. I understand. Yeah, because it's like it's very smart because the the difference is that also it would be crazy if there was an alien in a Western. I mean, I'm sure that there has been something like that. Isn't there a Cowboys and Aliens movie? But like, oh, yeah, there's a Daniel Craig movie. I just feel not, like, I mean, that wasn't it. It's yeah, there's nothing else in that genre. So clearly it's not a thing. But like the way that he went with the paranoia of like the gang members. And stuff, which is interesting because I always wonder, like, didn't Kurt Russell know that she was in a gang and know that, like, in her gang, there's like an Englishman and a Mexican? And wouldn't that have been a red flag if two people at the fucking haberdashery were a Mexican and an Englishman? I don't know. I always wonder about that because he knew that she had a $10,000 bounty. And uh, fucking Sam Jackson says that he had like he heard of. Marco the Mexican mm -hmm. and of Groucho, Grouch Douglas or whatever fucking Joe Gage when they say their names. So yeah. like he's heard of them and he's like, oh, it makes sense now that you're worth 10 grand. So I guess maybe I just answered my own question that Kurt Russell just knew she was 10 grand, knew that she would have people probably trying to help her. But like, I feel like he must have known there was that some sort of gang. That is a good point. I hadn't thought of that. And then Channing Tatum, he had a $50,000. So I'm imagining the reason he's not a part of this whole charade is because he's so recognizable, is that they would know what he looks like because he's the gang yeah. leader. But I'm also like, his name isn't Domergu. It's Jody Domingue. <laughs> Why should I care about Jody Domingue? Sorry, I just hear everything of Walton Goggins <laughs> now with this movie. Well, but you know what I mean? Yeah, so maybe that's why 
he didn't know. <laughs> no, but that might I didn't realize that they had two different last names. So maybe yeah. maybe Kurt Russell didn't connect Domergu to yeah. Domingue and the gang. But and like, also we're thinking from the perspective of the internet. Yeah. And this is we have when, all this data. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> maybe Daisy. We don't learn what she was actually he just says that wanted she's for. Yeah. So maybe like it Assuming was kind murder. of a separate thing. <laughs> and but then yeah, the moment that he puts the pieces together that someone's lying, that's also mm-hmm. a great moment in the mo- in the movie where it's like, okay. Yeah. We so all good. were we all were thinking something's up, but now he's like, something's up. Uh Major Warren, I need your back. I need you to have my back. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's already super suspect about everybody there. So I just I really love it. And I love the idea that like they didn't plan on the other two guys. And those, of course, the two dudes who foiled their whole plot, which is honestly pretty elaborate for back in the day. I know that this is a Tarantino movie, so that probably is why. But like this is a pretty elaborate ruse for these guys for a gang that they can even act normal enough like this. Well, and then they even say in the movie, they're like, the thing you the things you didn't account for is the blizzard. And then also uh, two of them, Chris Mannix and Major Warren. They're the two outliers and they're the two people that end up living through this whole thing. Yeah. So it's so good. And also, I just have to say while we're on the cast, but fucking uh, I really enjoy the callback to Reservoir Dogs. And um, the fact that Oswaldo Mowbray, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just always love the way that he says his name. So I have to think of it. But Tim Roth, obviously, is incredible. It, he's so great. I mean, he's so charming in this movie. It's crazy. But of course, it's like I feel like because he's the least suspect that he's the one that's most suspicious because he seems the nicest. But, yeah. And he's like the hangman. It's like too good. But yeah. when he like get shot and stuff it's like the same spot he gets shot in reservoir dogs and he's like screaming like bloody murder and like like uh, and it's just exactly what he's doing in reservoir dogs i just watched it like really close to watching <laughs> it, so now i'm like really seeing all the things it's it's pretty cool and bruce stern is great michael madsen i feel like we haven't mentioned them and ob which i know he's like a james park character but he's yeah. just I, he's such a great little character, and I just felt so bad for him. <laughs> Obi was the only one that, like, when he started throwing up blood, I was like, "No, not Obi." <laughs> yeah. I know. But, but yeah, like, I love Tim Roth from you know the from Reservoir Dogs. Also, oh. Lie to Me was a very important show in my younger years. So I remember love Tim Roth, and um, he was great in this. And what I loved about him so much in this is that, like, this role. It feels like it was written for Christoph Waltz. Yeah. But it was, I I believe, offered to him or like something or like he was rumored to maybe have been. But apparently, I believe that like most of the lead characters or most of the characters, I think Tarantino had these people in mind. Yeah, I read something that Christoph Waltz said that he wasn't. Yeah, no one like, reached out was to him rumored. about it, and and he wouldn't. I guess he said he wouldn't have wanted to do it because he doesn't like to just be the same character. And everybody's sort of like, 
between Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, those are very different characters. And this seems very yeah. similar to Django Unchained and totally. takes place after. So like you want to know a fun piece of trivia with this, though, with yeah. this character yeah. is that so he plays like Oswaldo Mowbray. That's his fake name. His real name in the movie is like English Pete Hickox or whatever. Um, and I believe it's been confirmed that he's related to um, like uh, what's his face? Michael Fassbender in Inglorious Bastards. His last name is Hickox as well. Oh. And he's British. And it's like he's a descendant of this guy. Oh, that's, yeah, that's pretty funny. I know. I was like, oh, look at that. Because I, I actually think and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but like this originally was going to be a sequel to Django because mm -hmm. it is technically takes place afterwards. And like, I believe now it's like Tarantino might have said that like Major Marquis Warren is like a descendant of Django. He's also a black bounty hunter. I'm just I think he maybe he's like trying to say that like he could be related to him because like I doubt that there were a shit ton of fucking black bounty hunters back then. <laughs> I I saw I saw a thing of trivia that I think um, Quentin thought about actually including Jamie yeah. Foxx in Originally, this and then yeah. he changed his mind because the because Django takes place like mid 1800s like towards yeah like it's yeah, still like, it's, it's like still in the um it's like like we haven't had a civil war yet so yeah, slavery and is still this is very post -Civil much a thing war. yeah yeah this is like he said like somewhere between like six to ten years after the civil war yeah 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 so yeah that originally he was going to be in it and just be an older version but like I think the working title at that point was Django and White Hell. But I kind of love <laughs> that he changed it and didn't make it a sequel because it's like, I think what he said was that if you had Django in this movie, like you already said that Jennifer Jason Lee, Daisy Domerger, you know from the bat that she's bad and she's not going to be a good guy. Yeah. So I think he didn't want to have another character in it that you knew was going to be the good guy because yeah, you, yeah. Django's the hero, obviously. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. That's a good call. Yeah, that, 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 that would have ruined the dynamic of the hateful yeah, exactly. group. And also like Tarantino should never do a crossover between his movies. Like he, he Kill should Bill have volume one and two is enough. Yeah, and he yeah. didn't make that as a sequel. It was like planned as one movie. So like, yeah, I, like, I, yeah, I don't know how I'd feel if he did a sequel. It's yeah, cool like they're connected in little ways. But like beyond that, I don't think we need to. Yeah, like it's fun to have little Easter eggs and connectivity. But like it would be real weird if he had a full on crossover. Yeah, it really would. But honestly, <laughs> like at this point, I mean, well, just because there's no possible way with the hate plate unless he did a prequel, which would just suck. Because it's yeah. like, I don't like when they do that because you're like, I already know that all these people are going to die at this point. So it's no fun. And it's just I think without this cast, it just works perfectly as what it is. And I'm just so fucking glad that it exists. And it's just my favorite. I love everything about this movie. It's it's such a good rewatch. And it's also like it's good in the sense that there's a lot of points that you can stop it. And come back to it. Exactly. Especially the mini the extended edition. It's like 20 minutes new footage. Yeah. Like there I, I was trying to remember like I started in my notes. I was like scenes that I think are part of the extended thing, but I couldn't remember exactly. <laughs> like I felt like the thing early in the first episode when they have the whole conversation of Sam Jackson and OB about the I'll pay you $150. Yeah. It's like I'll the, buy so the whores and the drinks. The social clubs. Yeah. yeah and all that okay. stuff. There's like some of that stuff. There's a little bit 
throughout it there's like extra little like like really quick scenes throughout it but i would say the most extensive like new thing that you get is in chapter four the final chapter when we um after the flashback of like channing tatum and the gang when they first arrive it then goes to john ruth and daisy john mcgrew and their whole thing coming up and them coming through the door and they're all like you have to kick it open that whole thing oh my and god I think in the so regular funny. In the regular movie, it like cuts right then before they like come in the door or maybe right afterwards it cuts and then goes back to like after Sam Jackson's been shot in the balls and everything. <laughs> so in this version, though, we get the scene where when they first arrive, it shows them do everything again that they did, which was like walking around, introducing to everyone and like talking to Oswaldo about shit. And you see the gang members like signing things at Daisy and trying to be like, let me kill him. And that's why she says things like, yeah, the new sheriff for Red Rock's traveling with us. And then yeah. she's like, like your friend in the stable. I won't say the N word because obviously <laughs> the way that she says that it's just like they say that line too, like five times. So many people say it a bunch. Yeah. But um, when she mentions that he's in the stable and she's like, oh, OK. So now when I look back on that, I'm like, she was just giving them a heads up because at that point when she says it, you don't know. You just think she's talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of always assumed that if someone's working with her, that's probably why she's saying those things. But so it's a very tiny little out of detail. But I would say that's the biggest thing is just that you kind of get the gang's perspective a little bit more mm -hmm. on the events that you'd already seen, which is just I mean, it's a little bit, but it's kind of cool that they were like trying to fucking kill him from the get go. It was just yeah. a little ballsy. Channing Tatum just said patience is the name of the game. And Joe Gage is like, move, I'm going to shoot him. It's like, whoa. Yeah, that's not patience. <laughs> well, and then John Ruth says earlier when he's like, someone is not who they say they're. He's like, it's like the the, the rats don't have patience. So mm -hmm. like someone's going to show to their hand. Up. Yeah, yeah. And... someone does. Too bad that John. I just it kind of kills me every time I watch it. I want John Ruth to make it to the end because it's Kurt Russell and he's like the hero of the thing. So it's just like weird that he's getting like, I feel like when the poisoning happens, it's like the equivalent in the thing of like the Palmer blood test scene. Yeah. And like you really like Palmer a lot. And then you're like, oh, fuck, he's the thing. And that's like kind of how it feels when you're like, shit, Kurt Russell's dying. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I'm like, I guess I just got to deal with the fact that Sam Jackson is the Kurt Russell of this movie. It's just a real mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also Kurt Russell's mustache is incredible. Oh, my this. God. I, I All timer. I don't know if it's something about his mustache, but I find that like the things that he does in this movie, I just never realized how big his mouth is. Like he opens his mouth really wide to like scream. And yeah. it's like, I just feel like it's tricky. And then there's that extra scene in the extended where he's like eating peaches that are huge, yeah. like, shoving them in. And I'm just like, God, this guy's got the biggest fucking mouth I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's like that chick on TikTok that'll eat like a whole thing. And you're like, oh, my God. Like the big mouth chick. I don't know if you've seen the videos, but either know. way, he's Goldie, like that. He could give her a run for the money. Goldie Hawn's a, a lucky woman. He's very Goldie Hawn. She right. has a giant dick that she's trying to shove in there, but you're right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm talking about his mouth, not her mouth. I understand that, but I'm saying <laughs> that like, what does she have that she's got to put in his mouth that makes sense that it's extra big? I don't think that really translates. Like if I a mean, girl had a big mouth, you're like, yeah, she could take a dick. But it's like, <laughs> what is she shoving into his mouth? Unless it's like a dildo. Okay. This is a weird I'll transition. I'll cut this out. You don't, no, <laughs> I think you should keep it because 
the your logic is making it sound is the the romantic logic of uh he she was made for him he was made for her i'm just saying he's got a big mouth he probably knows what to do with it and then you're like well what is she putting in her mouth i mean no in his <laughs> mouth i'm just saying like what benefit if a guy goes i've got a really big mouth like i would go that does nothing to me that doesn't turn me on but if a girl's like oh she's got a really big mouth she can fit a lot of stuff in there like guys get excited about that i'm just saying you're not making any sense, Jace. <laughs> if he was a woman, yes, they women or men all over would be so excited. But um, well, I, I mean, guess if... we'll have to get Goldie Hawn on the pod to ask her, what does that do for you? Does that give you more sexual pleasure? Yes or no? Jace is dying to know. Uh, I'll I'll get my people on that. I we got we got some connections, I think. But uh, oh boy, yeah. I mean, regardless, this movie is. I mean, it's a hateful eight, but it's a, it's a ten out of ten for sure. I hope uh, y'all aren't too hateful after that because I'm feeling joyous. I am feeling joyous too. That episode, like, that was just fun to talk about that movie. It might be full of hateful people, but it's a damn good time. <laughs> it's it's one of those movies where it's like you you could walk away from it and be like, well, at least I'm not as bad as those guys. Yeah, <laughs> at least I'm not dead in a room filled with blood. You know, exactly doing Covered. better than that. <laughs> yeah, doing all right. Well, we are going to keep the um, the violent times rolling. And uh, next week is a Christmas episode, but it's, it's a very violent Christmas episode. And we're doing a double feature because I'm dumb. And I forgot to say earlier that we're watching two movies this week. We're watching Violent Night. And Renee, what's the other movie we're watching? One that I've been waiting for for so long. It's called It's a Wonderful Knife. And I just think both of these are the perfect double feature because they're both like hilarious puns on classic yeah. Christmas sayings or phrases. And honestly, I think blood looks really good in the snow. So like <laughs> I'm kind of down for this. I like these, uh, you know, violent Christmas movies. <laughs> well, it's it's going to be a good time because Violent Night is uh, just action. And then It's a Wonderful Knife is more on the horror side. So a little bit more on the comedy too. So there, I think there'll be a really fun double feature and a violent night is streaming for free on prime. If you have that. And then mm -hmm. if you have shutter, it's a wonderful knife is streaming on there. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a lot of fun next week. I haven't seen it's a wonderful knife, but you've been, you've been given good, good comments about it. So I'm excited to watch it. It's a fun one. I think it'll be a holiday classic moving forward what we need but uh that's it for this week so uh we will see you next week on the regular exclusive podcast don't forget to like and subscribe we out here